0: From 11FS, this is Fintech Insider News. Today, we've got Barclays and Anthemis bring female-focused fintech InnoLab to the UK. Uh, city, launches a tech hub in Bahrain. And crypto trading Hamster performs better than Warren Buffett. Hmm. All this and more on today's show. Uh, but before we start, uh, we'd like to tell you a little bit more about something we're cooking up at 11FS. And a quick word from our sponsors. <music>
1: The evolution of financial services has opened up a whole new world of possibilities for banks, but to harness those opportunities, they need to break free from traditional constraints. Our new report, in association with Infosys Finical, explores how banks can overcome these challenges to see the full benefits of a truly digital world. Find the report at bit.ly forward slash banking business models. Temenos is a world leader in banking software, helping over 3,000 banks deliver outstanding banking experiences to more than 1.2 billion people. SCALE 2021 is Temenos' dedicated, free-to-attend virtual developer event. It includes customer presentations, product demos, roadmap sessions, as well as opportunities for you to speak with Temenos experts. You'll also hear insights from industry leaders on current technology trends and how they impact banking today. Whether you're a developer, consultant, or business user, Discover the latest in banking technology with Temenos software. Search Temenos Scale 2021 to find out more.
0: Welcome to episode 568 of FinTech Insider. My name is Guerra Kiwana and I'm joined by my lovely colleague and co-host, Benjamin Enta. Uh Benjamin, how are you doing?
2: I'm really well. We've, uh, we've just published a report on uh, developing innovative digital banking business models. So I'm super happy about that. How are you?
0: Really good. It's definitely a good read. I did uh, peruse it earlier today. So congrats on getting that out the door. I know that there's a lot of, a lot of you guys make it look like a duck on water, um, just like beautiful swan on water, just floating, but there's lots of caking going on under the water. So really great job on getting that out. Thank you. Uh, and of course, as always, we are joined by some very special guests. So making their FinTech Insider debut, we have Katie Helenchar, a Managing Director and Global Head of Venture Studio at Anthemis. Katie, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we'll get to your news in a bit, but
3: it's been an exciting week for you guys. How are you doing? Definitely. And I think uh, with everything that's going in the market right now, it's it's always an exciting week, but this one especially was a big week for us here um, at Anthemis and then in, with our partners Barclays.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm excited to get into that uh, later in the show. Um, also making their debut today uh, on fintech Insider, we've got Dan Westgarth, the COO of Deal. Dan, uh, how are you doing? Can you give us a quick rundown of Deal's business areas?
4: Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Deal helps companies hire anyone, anywhere, which is a little similar to paying anyone anywhere, but with a whole load of other complexities
0: that we've uh, we've solved. Um. All right. So let's get stuck into the news. Uh, So this is coming from Finextra. Barclays and Anthemis bring female-focused fintech fund to the UK and Europe. So Barclays and Anthemis recently announced that they are expanding their female innovators lab from the US to the UK and Europe. Established in 2019, the $30 million fintech fund and studio is dedicated to investing and cultivating entrepreneurial women across financial services. The fund will make an upfront investment in female-founded fintech companies, Follow On Capital is then available to support the business as it grows and approaches its next fundraising round. Founders will also have access to Barclays and Anthemis' dedicated office spaces in New York and London, flashy. Uh, The lab is being led by our lovely guest, Katie Palanchar, who with support from the head of innovation programs at Barclays. Katie, we're going to come to you first on this. uh, As you are leading the Female Innovators Lab project, what can you tell us about this project and and how it came together and also a little bit about, about Anthemis as well?
3: Sure. So Anthemis Group, uh, leading fintech VC, uh, investing across Europe, UK, US. We've been around for about um, 11 years and really focused on cultivating change in the financial services, investing from early stage through growth stage and later stage investments. Um, me personally, I am focused on the earliest stages, the earliest days in the pre-seed seed world. Um, and when I came into Anthemis in twenty nineteen to launch Female Innovators Lab in partnership with Barclays, we were really focused on fund investments and you know, really kind of looking at the statistics that so many of us know and read in so many articles of this funding gap with female founders. And if you take a look at, you know, the worlds of financial services technology, VC, the numbers, you know, they're not great. So, you know, we were really trying to figure out how can we be very intentional about driving this capital to female founders, but also, you know, just not about capital, right? What are some of the kind of support Um, you know, services, networks that we can build. Um, We have built at Anthemis Group, you know, in years of working with financial institutions and our portfolio companies and advisors and LPs, you know, how can we leverage that network to support these businesses beyond capital? And you know, Barclays or, you know, world-class track record, um, you know, as a financial institution. And so, you know, I often joke when I, you know, came in and I'm laying in bed the night before we launched the female innovators lab in just the U S and I'm, I'm kind of thinking, oh my goodness, early stage female founders in FinTech, like we're really narrowing down in my head. I met my bias on, on the pipe on what is this pipeline? Like, and I can tell you that over the past two years, like we have, you know, quite frankly, really proven that wrong. We've looked at 500 plus companies and female founders in fintech in early stage. And, you know, we've, we've made numerous investments. Our companies have gone on to raise later rounds. And these are companies that come in with, you know, a well thought out, you know, business plan, but basically a pitch deck, pre-revenue, pre-product. And this really led to, you know, realizing that this is a global um, issue and we want to uh, approach it with a global lens. And so we're doubling the fund size. We're doubling down. We're going to continue to invest in U.S. And we're going into U.K. Um, and Europe as well, focused on these female founders. And when we're deploying real dollars. This isn't just, a you know, I, I often joke, it's not just, you know, a small check and AWS credits, right? We are investing real dollars into real rounds. Um, providing support everywhere from product, tech, talent. Um, and I'm very interested in kind of the network effects and you know being that source for female founders and their companies to pick up the phone at any time, we need something for this, we need a contact here, et cetera. So as you mentioned, big week um, and, and we're super excited to continue to 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 invest in female founders and, and really approach this from a global lens.
4: Katie, do you only invest in companies with where we all? Or both founders are female or?
3: That's a great question. No. So, you know, we're looking at um, female founders that hold some type of significant equity stake and consider themselves founders or co-founders. And I think we have invested in, you know, female founders that are obviously CEOs, COOs. We have an amazing female co-founder that is the CTO. Um, building an amazing female engineering team, um, and so you know we we see all different makeups of the teams um, as, as it relates to qualifying for female founders. Great question, I appreciate it, Dan.
0: Okay, cool. That's awesome. I, I've I've also I took a quick gander at, at uh, Anthemis' portfolio. I mean, if you're in fintech, you've you've heard of Anthemis, uh, and really impressive portfolio. But I also noticed you, you've uh, you've invested in Backstage Capital, uh, so that's Arlen Hamilton's. Um, fund uh as well as you know Backstage capital they, they invest in under they describe described as underestimated founders have you guys had any learnings from backstage uh because their their approach is quite interesting in that they have this theory that you know underestimated or you know another word is underrepresented but i prefer underestimated um but underestimated founders tend to be able to do more with less um so that's like one learning have you found any learnings uh from from them
3: yeah. So, you know, 10 years ago um, when Anthemis, you know, we approaching 11 here, really set up their core guiding principles. And it was around collaboration, virtuous cycle outcomes, and diversity inclusion. So that was really in our DNA, even of how our investment team is made up, the, you know, the demographics of um, Anthemis group as a whole, right? We're we're um, 14 nationalities, 12 languages spoken. Uh, we're out 50-50 uh, female, male on our investment team as well. And so, you know, we we invested in Backstage um, very early and, you know, continue to be excited about what they're building. And and again, talking about those network effects, what it has caused in the industry, the conversations that are being had, and I think that kind of comes to why I mentioned, you know, these significant check sizes. Right? We're investing in these early rounds anywhere from 400k to a million dollar check sizes, right? Um, and so, you know, I think that what you're also seeing is this kind of ecosystem where people can, you know, refer. Maybe there isn't a founder that is a fit. For Female Innovators Lab because it's not fintech, but they reach out and we're we're building this network where it's like okay maybe you go talk to to backstage right um, you know the W Fund here in the U S um, and so we're we're starting to see right how this all kind of comes together and, and, and that cycle starting to pick up
0: cool. Um, I'm going to come to you, Benjamin. You know the London scene a little bit better. Uh, what what uh, challenges do you think? Um, are you excited to see uh, Anthemus and Barclays tackle in in the city of London, which I think is, personally, I think is the fintech capital of the world?
2: Yeah, I'm loving it because um, you know we we've talked about. Um, diversity in, in sort of fintechs in general and financial services more widely and so on for, for years. But it's really tough to tackle. So I love what Katie's doing with Anthemis and Barclays of just trying to tackle it head on because there's so many barriers that that can hold people back and, and stop them from achieving their potential. And some of it is down to lack of networks, um, lack of access to the right people. Some of it is just blinkered thinking, you know, in some of the existing VCs of just, you know, backing people who look like them um, or think like them or talk like them or went to the schools they did. So I'm, I'm loving what Katie's doing because I think, you know, you need to take um, a, a sort of an active stance to try and change things. My hunch is that this underrepresented founders thing is actually going to f- Pay out financially as well, because as, as you kind of implied, Guerra, you know, to get there, the people who've got the determination to overcome those kind of obstacles are probably smarter, harder grafting, and just get more shit done um, because they have to. Um, you know, anybody who's worked with seen young mothers at work, oh boy, you know, they're so efficient <laughs> because they have to be. You know, put someone in a corner, and you really see what they're up to. So, I think these underrepresented people, I think they'll turn out to be a really good investment bet as well as it being the right thing to do?
3: Yeah, hundred percent. And I think the other thing you know that the what we continue to be excited about is that not only are, you know are the companies that we invested in, female founded, but they're also majority underrepresented um, or underestimated, as you said, where um, female founders as well. And you know, as Benjamin said, right, you really start to dive into the statistics and. Uh, you know, as you look at kind of these returns and diversity of thought and diversity of backgrounds and how they think about hiring, and I think it was you know Angela Duckworth that wrote about grit, right? And I, I think Benjamin's point is spot on. Um, and you know the financial return data will continue to prove itself out. and so 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 super excited for for someone to really acknowledge that here today.
0: Um, I just want to go to Dan for a sec. So Dan, you work with Deal and Deal really is helping people hire from all around the world. Katie, you touched on this pipeline, which I think is a myth, myth of the pipeline. Is is remote work and an and international workforce really something that will solve that?
4: Um, I think international work and remote work solves a lot of things. Um, it could be one of them. I think there's some really interesting stories that I can used to kind of paint some context and some color on on the value that we provide. So Deal has a very kind of simple value proposition. We say to companies anywhere, whether they're located in Bahrain or the US or Germany, you can use the Deal platform to hire teammates anywhere. And of course we exclude extreme risk countries, anything which is OFAC extension, but we're a fully international business. So A very typical case and a very typical kind of um, transaction that we will see, we'll see a US company come to us um, who wants to hire, say, a software engineer in Nigeria. And what Deal is doing is it's providing, A, the legal framework to do that. Ordinarily, to hire in a country such as Nigeria, a business would be required to have a legal entity and a relationship with the tax authority. A relationship with various other government bodies um, and have a presence there Well, what deal does is it solves that problem so we handle all of that stuff we have the bank local bank account in nigeria that can handle the local currency we have a relationship with the tax authority we have a relationship with various other government bodies and we'll onboard that person um, we'll look after all of that local compliance and that local compliance Um, In fintech, typically means AML, KYC, this kind of stuff. With us, we're looking at labor law compliance in addition to that. So for example, if you're hiring in Egypt, um, an employee has to provide a a certificate that they have completed mandatory military service. Or if you're hiring in Poland, an employee has to show that they've completed a medical exam. Nigeria is a little bit different. But where I'm going with this is we're helping a US company um, engage someone in Nigeria to provide services and vice versa. If you really double click on that and uh, kind of zoom into the, the the life story and the narrative, it becomes incredible. You're giving, we're enabling access for working relationships which were no longer, which were before not possible, and in some cases, it's really cool because that service provider or that teammate is earning a salary which is twenty times above the average for their um, local municipality, and and the deal. Products and services like the Deal Advance or the Deal Visa card or Deal Crypto Payroll is empowering this local economy. It's powering this municipality in, in X country. It's really cool.
0: I think I think that's really awesome, and I think we could we could actually go on and on about international workforces and and even um, you know earlier when I mentioned about about the pipeline um, and you know tapping into larger markets definitely for hours and hours. But let's go on to the next story. Um, so this is from Reuters. Uh, City launches a tech hub in Bahrain to develop its digital platforms. So U.S. investment bank City has launched global technology hub at its offices in Bahrain. Uh, The tech hub is the first of its kind in the region and aims to employ 1,000 coders over the next decade. Citi is working in partnership with Tamkeen, a government-funded labor fund, and Bahrain's Economic Development Board, who are also investing. Uh, So new hires will initially work on two of the bank's main platforms, so Citi Velocity and Citi FX Pulse. Uh, And Tamkeen have said that they will subsidize a portion of the salaries to cover training costs um, locally and abroad. So before we go to our panel, uh, we do have a clip from Dalal Bouhiji, uh, the executive director of business development and investment uh, origination at EDB, who told us about their plans for city's technology hub and why she believes they chose Bahrain.
5: Now the hub uh, or the technology hub of City in Bahrain is the first of its kind in the region and will serve Citi's global needs with the aim of creating a thousand coding jobs over the next years. And the new hires will initially work on two of the bank's main platforms, City Velocity and City FX Plus. And that just shows you by selecting two of City's flagship systems to develop out of here in Bahrain, is a huge endorsement of the talent and the calibre of people um, that Citi found in Bahrain. When identifying Bahrain, um, Citi conducted a rigorous technical coding uh, test, an interview process, and the results showed that Bahraini talent had the highest pass rate when compared to other hubs around the world. More specifically, if you look at the female talent in Bahrain, the female talent uh, in Bahrain candidates' pool was unparalleled, the highest in the world, which will contribute to city's global diversity ratios. city chose Bahrain for three reasons: quality and diversity of the local workforce, Bahrain's vision and commitment to innovation and the digital economy, and finally, the forward-thinking attractive regulations. <music>
0: Um, I'm going to come to you, Benjamin, uh, around this. uh, What does this mean for fintech in in the Minas region? So that's the Middle East and North Africa.
2: I think it's it's great to see um, big global firms investing. It's great to see... Um, the development of local talent and the encouragement of local talent. I love what she was saying about female coders because you know there aren't enough girls who code. Um, so it's fantastic to see to see that happening as well. And it's also you know it's logical diversification for Bahrain. Uh, you know as an economy, you know the economies in the region have you know need to diversify into other industries. Bahrain obviously doesn't have the oil that some of some of its neighbours have. Um, but I think it's a, it's a very good. Good step. It's also super interesting because, of course, those markets are developing super fast. You know, as, as the, the populations there look for more and more advanced services. So it's it's interesting both from an employee perspective and from what what's out there for customers.
0: Absolutely, I think that um, definitely uh, that region is is booming and growing, and there's a lot of opportunity. But I'm also interested in the city piece, uh, Katie. I'm going to come to you. I don't know if you have any thoughts, but city has not the best uh, reputation lately. They recently got fined four hundred million dollars by the Fed for being naughty. What do you think this is gonna? How is this gonna reflect on on their um, reputation? Uh, is this something that you think is a PR move, or are they, do you think do you feel like they're genuinely uh, invested in in Bahrain and in these regions?
3: Yeah, I mean, all great questions and so much to unpack there. I mean, I think the first thing that like when I you know when I hear the story is like the the quote that comes to mind is you know you cannot be what you do not see. So I think just this investing. In women, in technical coders, building out the, these this educational pipeline is just huge. You know, beyond that, right? Being able to see you know in university students the opportunities that are there, the jobs, you know, I, I think that's a huge, huge move. And I'm a I'm a huge proponent of saying you know we have to tackle this diversity women in tech problem from every sector. It's not just about you know you know us having a fund, right? It's about you know, how are the universities engaging? Are there, you know, more underrepresented investors? What are financial institutions doing? And, you know, I, I think it's a great move. I mean, you know, often, you know, when you're in these, in these corporate positions, right, you know, there's times you can't win. It's like, so, you know, could they, you know, sit on their laurels and just say, hey, let's, let's, you know, kind of see what happens here. But I mean, I think making an active Move, you know, being on the forefront. I think it's very unique, and I and I think the research that's conducted is really interesting of how they teed this up, because we're lacking, uh, you know, female research, you know, very much so. You look back and it's like, oh well, when we started tracking these statistics five years ago, right? So they didn't just say, hey, let's move into this this area. It looks good. I think her mention of this research, the technical tests that were conducted, it is pretty intriguing. And I think it has a lot of room for expansion. That's why I just I don't feel the box checking hint there because you can see you know how far this can expand. Definitely sounds
0: like yeah, it was pretty thoughtfully done. If you were you've you've opened up a, an innovation hub and and you've you know you've you've done this work before, if you could give them two pieces of advice, if someone from City is listening right now, if you give them two pieces of advice right now, uh, early days of this hub existing, what would it be?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the you know the first advice is. Whatever, you know, traditional practices that you've had in place in other innovation hubs, you know, whether it's in the U.S. or whatever, you know, it's not a playbook. I think it's more of taking lessons you've learned from that playbook and seeing how it can be applied and then also taking into account what's happening in, you know, in the region from the workforce, you know, uh, kind of cultural importance, et cetera. And so really being thoughtful about that and then just understanding the difference in, you know, you know, they mentioned investing in kind of early stage entrepreneurship, technical, right, how that workforce differs from a traditional financial institution, corporate workforce, and really examining what needs to be in place, rather than just saying, you know, hey, we're popping this up, we're city, you know, these are the city practices, this is what we do, and now we're in a different city. So being really intentional about that is, I think, really going to be key to the success, and bringing in you know, people that understand, you know, building something out from the ground up early stage and, you know, it, technical people, technical recruiters, right, technical mentors, etc., is, is going to be key to this. That's really cool. So uh Bahrain, you know, really,
0: really interesting space. Also, you know, they have a Bahrain-based open banking platform called Tarabut that's raised $13 million uh, in June of this year. Um, You know, the central bank of Bahrain has, has lots of they're they're showing to be innovative and to to be embracing open banking. Um, does so, Dan? I'm going to come to you. Um, you know, you spent time at Revolut and and in the fintech space as well. So, are there, are you seeing an increase in business from people in the open banking space in your previous life, but also at Deal as well? I think
4: we see a number of um, interesting uh, open banking startups. I think that I think it's really interesting to kind of look at the life cycle of open banking how it started with Plaid in North America and then um, the introduction of PSD2 in the EU and then the follow-on of different countries uh, around the world adopting the model. Um, Open banking isn't a game-changer for us at Deal, honestly. Um, It doesn't provide that much value. It'd be interesting to see the adoption of uh, of an open banking product in a small market like that. It'd be interesting to see what um, products are built from it. But not too much to uh, not too much more to say on this one, to be honest.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair. I think definitely. Um, and, and Benjamin, do you have any thoughts around this at all, around this uh, innovation hub and around Bahrain about the MENA region, open banking in this space as well? I
2: think I think the really interesting thing is is this this point um, that that Katie was making about um, accessing talent, about being smarter about where you can get talent internationally. So you know, here we have City, a big. Global bank. I mean, we, you know, sometimes people think of City as an American bank, which of course it is. But of course, City's got operations all across Asia and other parts in the world, which is why it's actually you know, got some pretty diverse people within it. You know, really experienced people. So super interesting to see City picking Bahrain as a place to hire coders. I think this also ties into some of what Dan's talking about, and you know, of how do we access the best talent globally. So I think it's super interesting to see Citibank saying, "Hey, we'll actually set up a whole new center in Bahrain to find talented people." ties in with kind of what Dan is doing at Deal of hey, here's a new way of or or a more efficient, more effective way of finding the best talent anywhere in the world because there's a huge talent war going on you know, we feel it here in London I'm sure it's going on in New York, San Francisco, Berlin you know, talented people you know, they talk about the great resignation talented people are moving um, if they're not happy where they are so, you know, here's city taking action Dan at Deal is trying to do the same thing of helping companies find the best people
3: Yeah. And I just want to add to that of like kind of peeling back the layers too. you know, we often hear of like, we need more product people. We need more tech people, but it's like, we need to start early. We can't just say, okay, we're going to start recruiting, right? Like what's happening to build those foundational skills. And then from there, seeing that other underrepresented groups, women, et cetera, are in these jobs and that these are real opportunities will trickle down. Into universities, you know, even in our youngest students, and I think that that is where we really need to look further. And so, I mean, I think kudos for, for, for going back that far and in, in building out the pipeline.
4: I'm not, I'm not surprised that City's gone to Bahrain. Um, during my time at Revolut, met with a lot of um, economic development boards, and in particular, the fintech verticals within. And I must say that the uh, um, Bahrain Economic Development Board was was by far one of the um, one of the best organizations that I'd worked with. Um, so many tools to enable businesses to set up there um, really kind of lowered the barriers to entry. Um, so it's of no surprise to me. Um, what I think is really interesting um, in that region within GCC and MENA is um, the economy between the different states and different countries. I think if there can be... Um, free trade or near free trade within the digital economy within their region that becomes really interesting right because not only can you use a base or a place like Bahrain as a as a talent hub and a place for human capital but you can also use it as a market to sell product as well and I think that's when it becomes really interesting
0: that that's really cool and you know it's also geographically really well placed you know like the time zone wise they can service Uh, Asia, Far East Asia, they can service Europe, Africa, um, parts of the East Coast of the States. So it's really awesome, and I I wish them all the best. Uh, um, So we're just going to take a quick pause here uh, while we hear from our sponsors. We'll be back shortly.
5: Customers expect more from their digital experience, and their personal finance is no exception. BlueShift empowers fintechs and financial institutions to create secure customer profiles and intentional, relevant experiences for customers. Whether in-app, on-site, in-branch, or anywhere else, BlueShift Smart Hub CDP helps brands like LendingTree and ClearScore turn data into personalized experiences that increase retention, satisfaction, and revenue. Learn more about BlueShift at blueshift.com forward slash 11FS.
1: There is a better way to hire internationally, and it starts with Deal. Everything from contract creation, record keeping, payments, and full-time employment is all in one place for teams all over the world. Companies anywhere can hire compliantly everywhere thanks to Deal. It's payroll and compliance built for today's worldwide workforce. To learn more, visit Let's Deal forward slash 11FS. That's Let's Deal, D E E L forward slash 11FS and redeem an exclusive offer of three months free when you hire a contractor and 20% for your first year when you hire an employee.
0: And we're back. Uh, so Oran raises $3 million to increase financial inclusions. This is from TechCrunch. Uh, Pakistani fintech startup Oran has raised $3 million in its latest funding round. Uh, the startup was founded in 2018 by Helena Iqbal and Farwa Tapal, Um, The aim of Oran is to provide financing solutions to unbanked women in Pakistan. Uh, Oran is focused first on formalizing ROSCAs, so rotating savings and credit associations, uh, which are an informal financing model in Pakistan where families or groups of people um, in a community contribute to a money pool, uh, which is distributed to a member each month. Uh, So by participating in ROSCAs through Oran, users can join their committees uh, with people outside of their communities and social networks. Before accepting people into Oran, the app vets them, and it also manages each ROSCA, collecting and dispersing the funds. Founders say they are the first women entrepreneurs in Pakistan's fintech space to raise a seed round, which is really impressive. Uh, They also plan to expand to more financial services, as well as becoming a digital bank. Uh, So fun fact, the word Oran is Urdu for flight. Uh, so before we get to the panel's thoughts on this, let's first hear from Oran's co-founder, Farouk Papal, uh, who spoke to us on how Oran will use this funding and why Ruskas were their first target for disruption.
6: Hi, thank you so much for having Oran on this platform, on this podcast, Fintech Insider News. Super excited to be here and sharing our story a little bit. So, um, you know, everyone's asking us, what are we going to do with this money now? Um, to be honest, it's all about scaling. We've spent the last three years really you know, understanding our users, finding product market fit, and building this core product. Um, we're now ready to scale and take it to the next 100,000 users as well. And the second thing we're really doing is building more product lines um, to service that woman's journey. At the moment, we've really helped her become a saver and provided that platform. Now we want to take her, as she, as she herself matures, we are looking to build out products like investment, mutual funds, um, and then other credit products as well uh, to expand. Um, why have we been disrupting Rosca's? Um, you know, as we have explored the informal space, um, we found that women mostly manage their money We realize that 41% of our population actually takes part in something called ROSCAS or committees. They're very, very comfortable using these because they understand them. They're socially acceptable. They're religiously acceptable. They don't have to explain it to their fathers, their mothers, their mother-in-laws, right? Um, Which makes the barrier to entry very low. When we saw all these, when we saw that people are not only using it, they also use it for forced budgeting, right? So it becomes this multiple, flexible way that is acceptable in their households to use. So we took this hyper-local approach to enter into that woman's financial journey and impact her life. From here, she is able to build our trust as well as her trust within her own household, right, for this kind of product, which she needs that write-off eventually as she takes up more and more products with us. So yeah, so that's why Roscaz. Thank you.
0: That's awesome. I think raskas are really interesting and, and informal financial tools are really interesting in, in the global south. I know that in Kenya, where I'm at right now, um, they have SACOs, in Ghana, they have something called SUSUS. Um, they these informal forms of, of banking and managing money have existed forever. And and the work that Oran is doing to to bring these these tools and, and these these processes into the digital space and formalizing that and allowing people to participate in the economy is, is really exciting so um, you know I think I'm gonna to come to you Benjamin on this uh, what do you think is what do you think is the, is the power that uh, digitizing these informal uh, financial tools what what power does it have and what, what's the future of this
2: I feel you should have gone to Katie first because I'm sure she's super passionate on this topic however I um, You know, I I think there's a lot to be said for taking, you know, traditional models of finance that people recognize and trust and using digital technologies to make them work better. Um, You know, we've seen numerous examples of taking informal networks and replacing them with digital networks. Um, If this helps more women access finance um, and manage their finances better, that's brilliant, particularly because in some societies, you know, women get um, I suppose, abused by, by men trying to control finance. So if this helps more women have more control over their lives, um, f- f- fantastic. So I think it's super, super interesting example of, of what we were sort of talking about earlier when we were talking about fintech businesses in the UK and Europe, but a lovely example from Pakistan.
0: Katie, can you talk to some of the specific uh, like challenges that, that women face being included in the financial system? So that's
3: formally and informally. Yeah, I'm chomping at the bit on this one. Thanks, Benjamin. Yeah, I'm 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 really. I think this is just like represents so many things in, in so many ways. And I mean, it's it's an area I'm really interested in of like workplace equity equals financial equity, which really can change the way money moves. And you can even flip it, like financial equity affects workplace equity, which will continue to affect the way money moves. And I was having a discussion with um, Sean Park, our co-founder, so I can't take credit for this brilliance at all. But, uh, you know, he, he made such a great statement in talking about the way life has been set up for, you know, historically, as we've known it here in living on the earth, is that, you know, you're born, you go to school, you know, you may go to university, you get a job, you know, years ago, it was, you know, how you had one to three jobs, you had traditional salaried income, um, you retired, and then you die, right? And out of that, you know, he pointed out all of these financial service products were built out of that journey, right? Your mortgage, right? Your retirement plans, your auto loans, right? But now we see that that you know necessarily isn't the traditional journey. And it also, you know, quite frankly, is like very patriarchal rooted, right? You know, it's often that the men, you know, and were following that system. The women maybe went in the workforce, they came back out, etc. So as we take a look of what financial products as 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 the workplace, as the future of work changes, are very much critical to women, right? And and what comes from that, I think this really kind of starts to prove that theory of what financial products can can be created. Um, and I think also just demonstrating again, you know, this product brings some financial freedom, what it represents, not just from, from, you know, capital and money, but what Benjamin said of like who you are as independence and having access to that wealth and the opportunity is, is really a, a huge, uh, societal shift. And yeah, I mean, like I said, chomping at the bit on this one.
0: Definitely. I'm I'm really passionate also about this and and you know I I've I've done a lot of I've I've had lots of discussions and research around you know, power-based violence, um, and in, in in romantic relationships and, and intimate intimate partner violence, and all that, and a lot of that is actually a lot of the most harmful ways that that women are are uh, abused is is financially, and that's one way that uh, Farwa uh, Tapal touched on um, about you know allowing women to really be empowered and be included in the economy as well. Uh, but I have a bit of a controversial question for the group when it comes to the global south. Uh, there's all this talk about like formalizing and bringing into the, into the digital space uh, things that have existed for hundreds of years. So informal uh, setups like this is digitization the solution or is it deeper than that? Like, so for example, like Katie touching on like women leading and and having more diversity at the top. So is this a solution? Do you think?
4: Uh, I have an interesting, interesting view. So I love industries and products that have been around for decades, centuries, possibly even thousands of years. And one of the reasons that I joined Revolut was because it was taking an internet first approach an industry that had been around for hundreds of years. One, the reason I joined Deal is because it's taking an internet first approach to labor leasing and, uh, and payroll, which has been around for thousands of years, right? This has been around since the beginning of, uh, of society. So big believer in, in that approach Uh, Also, think market size is really important. So if we look at the company we just analyzed and discussed, Pakistan is such an amazing market. The fifth largest population in the world. A lot of people have smartphones. There's really good market penetration from social media applications like at Snapchat. Market penetration in Pakistan is huge. Uh, I think it's a really, really interesting business.
3: Just want to add, I think even involving more people into financial services, right? I mean... I think we get caught kind of a little bit in a bubble because we're so involved in tech and financial services every single day. But you know, kind of what are the access points to bring more people into this digital? And if it's something that they're familiar with, right? Oh, that makes sense. I've I've accessed this before. I use this. this you know, this has significance to me. This is how we start to make kind of real entry points. And I think we often forget, and I try to like keep awareness of this even as we're looking at deals of, you know, what are the what are the real access points to continue to bring more people into this like digital fintech world?
0: That's a really good observation. Yeah, I think definitely like we need to look at, go to meet the customer where they're at rather than dragging them into a product or into a space that is unfamiliar, uh, so which is why, you know, for largely underbanked or unbanked uh, economies, ATMs haven't worked, you know, like banks in the traditional sense and the Western sense haven't worked. So I'm, I'm excited for Oran. Um, we go on about this forever and ever, but let's go to the next story. Uh, so Santander unplugs their payments challenger Pago FX after only 15 months. So this is from AltFi. Santander has pulled the plug on its competitor to WISE just 15 months after it's launched. PagoFX, the international money transfer service from Banco Santander, has announced it will be shutting down on November 30th. Uh, PagoFX was launched as an autonomous fintech startup with 50 employees and the promise of becoming a real challenger in the low-cost international money transfer space. The startup initially allowed UK residents with a debit card issued by any UK bank or financial institution to send money abroad using just their smartphone. This service has since been extended in stages to users in Spain and Belgium, as well as small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, Santander described the move as being designed to refocus efforts on business-to-business payments within its Pago NXT division. Um, so this is this is a really interesting story. Um, because uh, I'm I'm going to go on a bit of a tiny rant about, like, incumbent banks and their attempts at innovating. And, you know, I'm, the, the jury is still out, in my opinion, as to, like, whether or not incumbents can innovate. But I'll, I'll go back to a metaphor that I used recently, which is incumbent banks is like cruise ships, these massive, huge hunks of metal moving through water going very far for a very long time uh, in, in style and comfort, um, neobanks being, uh, speedboats just whizzing around, but continuously needing to refuel and recalibrate. And then, you know, I think like th- these kinds of, uh, internal challengers or internal, um, autonomous fintech startups, uh, as like luxury yachts, cause they have the best of both worlds. W- what do you feel, uh, Katie around, uh, incumbents? Cause you, you kind of smiled there when I said, when I said earlier about, uh, incumbents, uh, not being able to innovate. What are your thoughts around that?
3: Oh, it's, this is so hard because not knowing, you know, how this was approached internally from a, like spinning up this early stage, you know, what they're calling venture startup, et cetera. And like what went on, right. And it's like, you know, I, I'm in the venture studio world and that can be approached as, you know, concept led, founder led, you know, and and continuing to kind of ideate and build out that idea and you've seen a lot of companies kind of pop up I mean I think there's one in the u.s Bionic um, I think there's you know rainmaker venture studio super interesting work where they go into corporates and help them kind of get this early stage venture off of the ground um, and so you know there's the very of different approaches you know it hasn't proven out some of them work some of them don't I think what's so hard. And maybe I'm, um, again, like I, I try to admit my bias of like, when you have that core founding team that came in with the early stage idea, it's theirs, there's ownership, live and die by it. How do you transfer that passion within a large corporate to, to launch something like this? Um, and, and can you make that translation? Um, And then the other thing is that that's the number one priority in these early stage companies, right? Like, uh, you know, these larger financial institutions have, you know, St. Hander has multiple priorities. So it's much easier to be like, you know what, like it may be working, but all of these other things over here are working much more efficiently. Let's kill it. Let's move resources over here. So you really never kind of get, get that full story. Um, I think it's, continued need and like I, I commend you know institutions that are approaching it for a variety of ways and we're partnering like I mentioned some of those great organizations. I you know I think obviously our approach is interesting where Barclays is in you know partnering with a venture capital firm. They're you know very much involved as a partner but we're deploying the capital we you know work in the day-to-day with early stage companies so I think we'll continue to see more models that come out of this, you know, and, and St. Andrew's a great kind of case study to see, you know, kind of what evolves in, in these types of models.
0: Benjamin, do you think I've been too harsh with my with my opinions around uh, incumbents being sluggish?
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I do a bit actually. I, you know, there are <laughs> lots of great smart people in established financial services firms, trying really hard to build better financial services for, for people, right? It's, it's not a lack of ambition or passion. Of course, you know there are, there are, you know, there are a few bad people who are just trying to make profits for themselves, of course, you know, and that's you know, fair enough. But um, there are lots of people trying to make the world a better place through finance within established or traditional financial services firms. But I think Katie's right that maybe one of the challenges is passion. How do you really drive it? How do you really push it, et cetera? Do you really get that support internally? Personally, I think this Pago FX one is a bit of a head-scratcher because it's not obvious what they did wrong. You know, you look at the app, it's it was a decent app, but it just got no traction. I mean, th- frankly, it's probably better known among listeners of this podcast and, you know, fintech followers than um, in the general public. And it just, I think they were probably just too late. They launched, what, six, seven, eight years after TransferWise, and that was just too late because, you know, Santander did quite a lot right here. It just the timing wasn't there. And maybe to Katie's point, maybe maybe the passion wasn't there. But, you know, Anna Bottine, the the executive chair of, of um, Santander, a nice example of having a female chair for once in a large bank, you know, she was backing this. She was pushing this. Um, so were they just too late? I don't know.
0: I don't know. There's many reasons that ideas like this don't do so well. But I think one of the problems is, yeah, you're right. They, they're a little late. Like uh, international money transfer is a race to the bottom right now. Like it's the people who can afford to have the lowest prices and who can afford to uh, onboard the the largest number of customers to justify those prices really do well. Uh, and Dan, you spent time at, at Revolut who are an international like FinTech, like darling uh, for, for doing that. What do you think traditional banks are missing also from, from coming into the space uh, or at least Santander is missing for coming to the space a little bit later?
4: Um, you know, I had to disagree with, um, It being a race to the bottom of rates. I think that um, what the early movers did, which were Revolute TransferWise and possibly a couple of other firms, is they cut rates significantly. They won a large amount of customers. And I think that they've now realized and customers have now realized that it's not always about getting the cheapest service. It's about getting the best quality service. And I'd say that in most cases, Sending money overseas is quite a sensitive transaction. I think of the times when I send money overseas, I might send money to my sister in the More. UK from the US, or I might send money to pay for um, an overseas property. Right, this is quite a sensitive transaction. I want to make sure that, that money gets there on time. I want to make sure that if something goes wrong, there's someone that I can talk to they can give me a high quality service. So I don't think we're in this kind of um, race to the bottom anymore. I actually think we're, we're kind of on a race for service right now. I think, you know, to Benjamin's further point, I, I completely agree. There is some really, really cool stuff going on at the big, at the big FIs and really smart people that are doing really cool stuff. Um, but I think that just by virtue of, of not being as heavily regulated and being able to attract startup talent, um, startups and technology companies are able to move quicker and that always puts them ahead of the curve. And, well, in most cases.
3: An interesting, you know, parallel, non-parallel. So, and that's why I scratch my head too. And if someone can crack it, but in the U S right, the streaming service Hulu um, has gained, you know, popularity right up there with, with Netflix. I don't have the exact numbers, but you know, usually if you have a Netflix subscription, probably have a Hulu subscription here. And that's something that was spun out of like, you know, NBC universal GE getting together, huge, wild success. You look at all these corporations that came together and you know, often people think, "Oh, you know, you know, that was a traditional startup, and and is a wild success." So it's not to say it can't be done. And obviously, I'm very bullish on on venture studio and where I sit. Um, I think you know, as, as we look at these models, we're going to have to figure out, uh, you know, where where the differences lie. You know, is it talent? Is it the tech? Is it the industry? Does it work? better in media as opposed to environments that are heavy, heavily regulated. Um, so it's definitely something that, that, that continue to watch and it, it intrigues me just from our conversation here today. So much to think about.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It is a really like, you know, I could talk about incumbents and versus uh, startups forever and ever, but uh, let's, let's move on. Uh, so we're going to go to our next segment. Uh, so this is a bit of a quick fire round. So it's stories we didn't have time to cover and, um, So, as a part of this show, uh, we want to quickly round up some of the other stories from the week that we didn't have time to cover, uh, but still deserve a shout out. So, Benjamin, do you want to get us started? Yes. So,
2: the first story is Claro has taken an anti-buy now, pay later campaign to London streets. Financial coaching app Claro Money has taken to the streets of London with a billboard campaign, urging Brits to say buy now to buy now, pay later, as in bye-bye now. Uh, Clara has erected a billboard in Canary Wharf, put up posters on the London Underground and sent a van around the capital to share its message. Um, Citing figures from the Financial Conduct Authority, the firm says that the unregulated buy now, pay later market more than trebled in size during 2020 and that that's putting millions of customers at risk of unmanageable debt. So, you know, there have been a lot of studies um, showing that this is that buy now, pay later for all its benefits is getting people into, into debt and debt that some people don't necessarily understand. You know, is Clara taking advantage of that to create a clever marketing campaign? Yes. Um, but, you know, they're right. There is a threat here. There is a threat to, you know, particularly younger consumers, you know, new generation taking on debt, um, not necessarily understanding quite what they're doing. So um, very interesting to see you know, there's a little bit of a backlash coming now, um, and it's interesting to see other, you know, canny marketers starting to take advantage of it. I don't think this particular campaign will do anything, but, you know, I think we will see a bit more of a backlash.
0: Absolutely. I think it's, it's about time we, we started to see some, uh, some some noise like that being made. All right. Uh, next story. So fintech startup Highnote launches and announces... $54 million in funding. Uh, so Californian startup Highnote is launching with ambitions to make wave in the world of card issuing uh, by making it easy for a company of any size uh, to provide virtual payments cards for their customers. Founded by PayPal alumni, uh, this company is, ex- ex- is exiting stealth mode and announcing the $54 million in funding uh, to take s- its first steps. So the sum includes both a series uh, sorry, a seed round and a series A. Uh, and investors include Bill Reddy, the president of commerce and payments at Google, and former chief operating officer at uh, PayPal. Uh, so, HighNote provides embedded payment experiences to SMBs, allowing companies to launch a card within weeks instead of months, according to the release. Uh, their biggest competitor right now is the successful, uh, we've all heard of them, Marketa. Um, if you're a retailer, uh, the card is intended to encourage your customers to shop more with you. Uh, those who are not retailers, so for example, airlines, um, can tie them in with loyalty points and can be that can be redeemed with a brand or business participating uh, in the brand's loyalty scheme. I don't personally. I think I'm like, ugh, like I would hate to have 15 different cards in my wallet, uh, for like all the different company things I use. But I, I think they're still early on. I think they can they can diversify uh, their product offering, and I'm excited to see them do that. 54 million dollars is a lot of change, uh, so I think they've got some ambitious plans ahead of them. Benjamin, I'll, back to you.
2: So the next story is. Um uh, Ascend Money, which is backed by Ant Financial, has become Thailand's first fintech unicorn. So Ascend Money has um, achieved a valuation of uh, $1.5 billion following a new funding round. The startup has raised an additional $150 million in its latest financing round and has been backed by big investors, including Ant Financial Group and Bow Wave Capital Management. Uh, the company will use the fresh capital to improve its mobile payments app, TrueMoney Wallet, as well as expand digital financial services across Southeast Asia. So Ascend already offers online payment services ranging from mobile top-ups to bill payments and peer-to-peer transfers under its TrueMoney brand that serves consumers. And Thailand is on the cusp of mass adoption of mobile wallets, and Ascend's TrueMoney is already the most popular app for that, with a 53% market share in the country, so again, super interesting story. Um, there's so much opportunity in fintech um, to make people's lives better, to make people's lives easier. You know, sending money, moving money around is um, you know an obvious opportunity. It's been tapped into in many other countries. Um, obviously, there are other um, wallet providers in Thailand, um, but it's really, really interesting to see this one growing. And Ascend Money is interesting because it's actually also a retailer. So there's an element of embedded finance here that it's using its retail uh, experience to grow the, grow the business, a bit like we've seen a few other um, digital wallets spin out of retailers or spin out of other other companies. So really, really interesting story there.
0: Okay, let's bring everybody back for the final and silliest story of the week. So, and finally, uh, a crypto trading hamster performs better than Warren Buffett and the S&P 500. Uh, so a hamster named Mr. Gox has been trading cryptocurrencies in a rigged box since June. Uh, when Mr. Gox runs on the hamster wheel, he can select from among dozens of cryptocurrencies. Uh, then deciding between two tunnels, he chooses whether to buy or sell. Uh, since it started trading in on June 12th, Gox's crypto portfolio has returned 16.6%, according to his Twitter account. Uh, Mr. Gox is looked after by two men in their 30s from Germany who prefer to stay anonymous. Uh, (laughs) Mr. Gox caretakers built the Gox box an office attached to its larger home Uh, so Gox's portfolio was funded with the euro equivalent of $390 Um, and as of September 12th Mr. Gox was performing better than Bitcoin the Nasdaq 100 uh, and Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway as well as the S&P 500 oh my god anyone have any thoughts uh Dan you, you were kind of smirking there uh any thoughts about this
4: I don't think I really have a view on it. I just hope the hamster is kept well and enjoying its life.
0: (laughs) I've, I've got a view.
2: Um, I think a rising tide lifts all boats. you know the, what's happening here is cryptocurrencies have been doing really well so you know the hamsters going in and, in and out of these tunnels but because it's because the asset class has gone up, it's beaten the equity markets um it's nothing to do with the hamster. it's just cryptocurrencies uh, there's a boom in cryptocurrencies. Um, will that boom last forever? who knows? will the hamster last forever? who knows um, it's fun um but it doesn't really prove very much, I don't think
3: there was a meme going around this week on Instagram. So when I saw this story, I started laughing hysterically and it said, I feel like everyone who has ever had a hamster has had some kind of traumatic experience with it. Um, And if you've ever had a hamster as a kid, I've, I've had, I have a story of mine, but that's not the time or place for it. But, and so I saw this and thought of that right away. And then I'm like, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because I'm like, Hey, if this is an entry point for, you know, kids to get excited about financial services, go for it. On the other hand, I'm like, can we have just after the two years we've had like one area of life that we're just not going to inject even more chaos. Um, but t- to Benji's point, yeah, I mean, pretty fun. You know, any entertainment these days, let's, let's get more hamsters out there and see what happens though. Let's really try to prove this out. Can't wait to see the next hamster-led
0: VC fund. Um, so, <laughs> all right,
3: let's let's uh, let's wrap things up
0: uh, in this week's news show. So thank you so much to all our guests. Uh, where can people find out more
3: about you, Katie? Sure, so I'm on Twitter at DameKDP and also linked to my personal website there as well. All right, Dan?
4: I'm also on Twitter, my first name, last name.
3: Thank you. And Benjamin, where can people find out
0: more about what you're up to?
2: I'm on LinkedIn and 11fs.com.
0: Awesome. And as for me, I, I'm spending a lot of time on the Bird app, uh, twitter.com. Uh, Not Guerra is my name. Um, don't spend too much time on LinkedIn, but sometimes I'm there. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, and you can join in the conversation on social media or email podcast at 11fs.com. Thank you so much and goodbye.